Hey there, and welcome to another edition of Inside Intercom. One of the biggest hires your startup is ever going to make is its first product leader. The stakes are absolutely huge. So why is it that some of these product hires become foundational leaders for years to come, whereas others fail to find success? Our guest today, Martin Erickson, took answering this question to task in his new book, Product Leadership, How Top Product Managers Launch Awesome Products and Build Successful Teams. Along with his co-writers, Martin interviewed close to 100 product leaders from the likes of Airbnb, Basecamp, Intuit, and yes, even Intercom. Martin's also the founder of Product Tank, now the world's largest product management community with meetups in more than 100 cities around the world, and a co-founder of Mind the Product, an annual conference in London and most recently, San Francisco. When he's not writing or running events, Martin's advising startups, enterprise companies, and everything in between on how to build successful product teams. In our chat, he covers why a product manager isn't your product CEO. We shouldn't think of our product managers as CEOs because it comes with this implied authority and it comes with this implied kind of control over everything that happens when really product managers have no authority. How to make your startup's first product leadership hire. Think about not going straight for that super experienced VP of product because it's probably not the right person for you at an early stage. But to think about hiring a product manager who has the potential to be that role in three, five years' time. And why it's often the soft skills that separate product leaders from the rest of the pack. What are you prioritizing and why? What is coming up next on the roadmap? Writing stories for the developers. Whatever those skills are, all of it comes down to communication. If you like what you hear and want more of Martin's insights, we're actually giving away a handful of free copies of his new product leadership book to listeners. Simply contact us through the messenger at blog.intercom.com, share why this resonates with you, and you'll be entered to win. And now, let's hop in the studio with Martin Erickson. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Martin, welcome to the show. I know you've got a quite a busy week, so thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. To get started, product management compared to design and engineering business is certainly a a younger field and one that people come into from all sorts of different paths. So what was yours? I started actually as a web designer or web developer in as much as anyone was a web developer back in 95, 96. It was basically HTML and CGI scripts. Uh, We didn't even have CSS at the time. But yeah, I started as a web designer, web developer, kind of realized I didn't have enough talent to be a designer. I wasn't kind of logically minded enough to be a, a good coder, but being able to bring those together with some business was kind of a great fit for me. So you talked about bringing a few different things together there. And as you've become leader in this space, you've got an off-quoted definition of, of product management that for our listeners, I'll just go ahead and read out to them. It's um, that you got to be experienced in at least one of business, UX, or tech, and passionate about all three and conversant with practitioners of all three. I want to ask you about that passion part. What qualifies as passion to you? Uh, a great question. I think it's one of those really difficult to define words. And I think it's it's somewhere beyond just a mere interest in it. And it's kind of something is that I just think it's important to be excited about those different areas and be excited about the things that you don't know about, which is one of the biggest challenges in product because it is such a general role. There's always going to be something that you don't know about. You're not going to be the best designer in the room. You're not going to be the best engineer in the room. You're not going to be the best business person in the room. Um, but being excited about that and being open to that fact and being able to reach out to other people for that expertise, I think that's that's the, the level of passion that I look for as opposed to just kind of mere interest, I suppose. So when it comes to the area that your experience is in prior, when does the, the passion in that area go 
too far and blur into bias for product managers. I think, again, it's uh, for me, that passion is about being open and interested in all those areas. So that requires you to know what you don't know. And I think that's a, a really powerful tool for any product manager. So and that should help them then realize that you, you know, you don't know everything about your own area either. I think bias is obviously a really dangerous thing for product managers. So it's it's a great point that you shouldn't let whatever you have that kind of deepest experience in color uh, everything else that you do. But again, I think the great product managers uh, have passion enough for those other areas to know that there are strengths that come out of those as well. It's important to embrace those and understand those and not just bring your own experience to the table. So when you talk about sort of knowing what you don't know, what's your advice for particularly young product managers when it comes to building those relationships in the aspects of the business where their experience isn't? I think we, in product, we say a lot, you know, get out of the building, right? I would also just say, get out of your office or get off your floor, right? Go go hang out with the rest of the team. Go sit next to the designers for a day. Go sit next to the engineers for a day. Um, as much as we apply empathy to our customers, we should be applying it to our peers as well. And that's, I think, how you learn those things and how you get an appreciation for what goes into that work. Well, I think, I think that empathy aspect may play into what I wanted to ask you about next, which is we hear this thrown around all the time that the product manager is the CEO of their product. Uh, I think Ben Horowitz may have originally coined that phrase, but you've, you're have you pretty passionate that that's not exactly the case. Where, where do those two roles differ? I think a lot of it just comes out of the expectation of that role. So I did write a rant about this recently, which the focus of which for me is that Product managers need to realize that they have no authority like a CEO does and that they can't act like that. Of course, great CEOs don't act that way anyway. They are very collaborative and they're very open to their organization. So the analogy gets a little gray in areas. I think great product managers do act like great CEOs, but that's a distinction that gets lost sometimes when we talk about that definition. And that's my main push is that we shouldn't think about product managers as CEOs because it comes with this uh, implied authority and it comes with this implied kind of control over everything that happens when really product managers have no authority. We have no almost no direct reports. All the teams and people that you need to build great products don't report to you. So you have to be much more collaborative, much more open than a CEO can be. And ultimately, as much as you should own your product and be passionate about your product and, and feel like you are ultimately responsible for it, you still have someone behind you. You have the management team, the CEO behind you to kind of help you or back you up. Um, when you get into trouble, and the CEO doesn't. So I know you do a lot of advising and product management for for startups and really businesses of all sizes, but many of our listeners are more at that early stage. So when you're going into companies like that, maybe it's it's that collaboration aspect you just mentioned, but what are some of the most common issues that you're helping those teams through? I think a lot of it is helping founders especially kind of let go of their baby a little bit and understand that they need to let the rest of the team around them and ideally a product manager when they hire that person kind of help take over that role because the CEO has other jobs or the founder has other jobs to do as a company scales. Obviously focused on fundraising and hiring and building the company culture and, and having that overall strategic view. So there's a lot of that kind of coaching of just letting go a little bit and giving autonomy to that product team that as they build it. I think the other big piece that I end up advising startups on a lot is actually how or when to hire that first product person. And I think one of the key things there is to think about not going straight for that super experienced VP of product because it's probably not the right person for you at an early stage, but to think about hiring a product manager who has the potential to be that role in three, five years' time, depending on how your company grows, but who also then might not grow into that role, and then you then you hire a VP at a later stage. What are those clues for potential? 
I think it's a lot about having a bigger picture view and showing that you are not an individual contributor, but kind of a leader of people. And that is obviously very tricky to define. It's something you kind of, it's an X factor that you see in someone's work. Great product managers who have potential to be product leaders often talk, they don't talk in the first person as one of those little clues you can look about. They talk a lot about the, the, what we did as a team. I helped the team do this. Uh, we achieved these goals, not uh, in the first person. So that's that's one little trick that you can look for. So speaking of product leaders, it's really the theme of the book we mentioned at the top of the show that just came out, Product Leadership, How Top Product Managers Launch Awesome Products and Build Successful Teams. Why this book and why now? What brought you to this process? I think as you said in the beginning of the podcast, product management is still a fairly new field, right? It's a fairly nascent kind of job role. And we're starting to see more writing and thinking and thought leadership come out about product management. But nobody had really talked about what product leadership means. What does that next step up look like? What do VPs, CPOs, directors of product kind of have in common? And, and what does that look like? And I think we just got excited about um, being able to look at that field. And me and my co-authors also decided that although we've been doing this job for a long time, it wasn't about trying to present our view, but we wanted to go out and talk to people uh, who are doing this job to figure out what are they doing and how does it differ and what are the themes that come out of that. And really, as with a lot of the other stuff that I've done, it's just a great excuse to go out and talk to some amazingly smart people and, and learn some stuff about this job that we do. Well, there's some really standout conversations and quotes in the book. As you said, you spoke to about 100 different product leaders, people from Airbnb, from Basecamp. Our own Paul Adams is quoted a few times in the book. During that process, take me back to the early part of that. Were there any hypotheses that you went in hoping to to prove or investigate and anything through that process that really surprised you? I think we went into it very open-ended. So we probably had about a dozen interviews before we even kind of sat down and tried to lay out the book and figure out, like, what is this going to actually be? And I think what came out of that was, perhaps unsurprisingly, that there are no real kind of differences in product leadership. Like everyone faces the same challenges, whether you're in a small company or a large company, US, Europe, whatever the differences are. But the main theme that did come out was that how you act on that is probably different in a startup versus an emerging company versus a enterprise company. And that's really then how we structured the middle section of the book um, as a kind of choose your own adventure, depending on what stage company you're in, to... Uh, make it more aligned with the specific challenges of being in a startup and maybe that handover from a founder to a first product person building that team through to an emerging company and then all the way up to enterprise where you have very different challenges to face. So as Ken Norton points out in the, the forward of the book and in this industry right now, we've got project managers, we've got product managers, we've got program managers. They all call themselves PMs. Are the, are the terms interchangeable or do we need clear industry definitions? What's your feeling here? I think we do need some clarity. I tend not to get too engaged in the job title debate because I kind of don't care what your title is as long as you care about the product. And in our conference, in our, our blog, we talk a lot about product people as opposed to any specific title because we want to be all-encompassing and we want to bring in product owners, designers, engineers, product managers, project managers. Anybody that touches the product at the end of the day owns some part of that product and needs to work together as a team because no one role is going to be able to do everything that we need to do to build great products anymore. How did you guys collaborate between the three of you on the, on the book? Did you split up the types of companies you were going to investigate? It, we did not split up the interviews. That was more like our what worked connection-wise, our own networks, yeah. like who could we reach out to and have those conversations with. We then got transcripts of all of that, put it kind of together in a, 
a series of Google Docs, basically, and that we could then all read and share and, and use and kind of annotate with quotes of like what we wanted to pull out. And then I think the biggest thing for us, because there's three of us, um, Nate Walkingshaw, who lives in Salt Lake City, Richard Banfield, who lives in Boston, and myself mainly in London, uh, obviously had a geographical challenge. So we got together, I think, four times in the end and kind of sat down for three, four days together. We'd rent an Airbnb or a cabin or something to just kind of get away from our day-to-day work and really try to get you know, pen to paper, as it were. And then ultimately, um, although originally we decided to have the book split up by chapter and we would write a chapter each, we actually ended up with one giant monolithic Google Doc, right. which took about 20 minutes to load uh, every time towards the end. Um, so, yeah, we had an 80,000-word Google Doc at the end of that. Um, and it was actually a great way to work because we would see when other, uh, one of the others was editing something and we could jump in and add a, a, a quote that we'd found from an interview we'd had and kind of work on it that way. So I think it ended up being... Uh, a very natural flow, even though there's three authors. It's funny, you've made a whole career of talking to customers and getting to know their pain points. I imagine someone who runs a collaboration tool now may need to come to you. Ideally, yeah. I think uh, we're probably an edge case, though. I think 80,000 Word documents probably weren't meant to be in one single Google Doc. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that... All businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise. Old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So in the book, you say that top product leaders build teams and processes that focus on the big picture and not on advancing personal agendas. But do you think that's typically a hard transition for founders or other really early stage employees who are really personally invested in that product? Yeah, I think that's that is one of the biggest challenges in any startup journey, I think, is that founder or founders kind of letting go of their baby, as it were. And I think most great startups obviously start with someone who's passionate about the product or passionate about the, the customer problem they're trying to solve. Um, and they are the product leader from day one, right? They, whether they've had that experience or they have the job title or not, they're the ones shaping the product direction, talking to customers, et cetera. And it's absolutely a really big challenge for that person to then let go of their baby as the organization grows, as the problem definitions become clearer and they need to kind of scale it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a big challenge that we we did talk to a few people about. And there's no kind of one answer to it. I think it is more about coaching and 
building trust as that new product manager or VP that comes in that you have the best interest of the product at heart and that you are bringing data and uh, evidence to the table when you're making decisions, not just kind of opinion uh, and kind of slowly earning that trust from the founders. So for those people, as, as they let go, then what's your take on how close they should still remain to customers and how they should go about doing that as they're actually handing off those product responsibilities? I think it depends on the founder. Obviously, there are some that are generally more business minded and then can take that opportunity to kind of focus on the bigger picture of, like I said earlier, hiring for the rest of the company, kind of the strategic direction of the whole company, funding rounds, all those other things that that come into a kind of a CEO role. I think the startups that have a are lucky enough or smart enough to have a design founder or a product founder, obviously they can be much more involved and they can have that kind of strategic ownership. Uh, One thing that we talk a little bit about in the book, but I think is, is a general conversation we need to have in product management is kind of separating out the kind of individual contributor track from the leadership track. I think a lot like engineering has done, there are differences even at that kind of senior level, right? So you can have an architect who's a very, very senior developer but doesn't necessarily manage people and it's a recognition of the fact that they have a lot of control over the technical architecture they have a lot of experience to bring to the table and it's a it's a very senior role but without people management and i think that's the kind of role that a lot of great founders end up taking on as kind of a product architect role so they have that big picture vision they're still out talking to customers they're still involved at a very high level but they're not kind of giving the day-to-day direction or day-to-day writing product stories etc for the team they have a product manager to kind of run that or a VP product. In those early stages when everything is about building, shipping as quickly as possible, getting feedback, there's not a lot exactly of free time. When should they actually, when should a startup start looking at mapping out those progression paths? At the end of the day, a great founder um, is designing a company, right, as much as they're designing the product. So they need to be thinking about those progressions as early as possible and have that in mind as they start hiring people. And I think that was the point made earlier about thinking about who you hire as your first product person, that maybe it isn't going straight for that VP level. It's getting someone on board who can take more of the day-to-day off your plate and then can grow into that role and take over more of that ownership over time. Um, and I think it's it's important to be aware of those paths and how you want to design your organization as early as possible, even if it's a little change over time. Um, but to, to be aware of it, absolutely. <laughs> One thing in the book that, that I found really interesting is this: how you stress the importance of soft skills and product management. Ironically, the hardest skills, but yes. Yes, exactly. So my, my question for you is then, of those soft skills, is there one in particular where you see product managers struggle the most, and how can they work to close that gap? I think there's a couple. I think um, communication at the end of the day is probably the biggest soft skill that a product manager or product leader has to be great at. And it's all about, you know, because you need that throughout the process. You need it at a high level when you're setting the product vision. You need to be a great storyteller and bring everyone else in the company and probably your external customers along with that product vision. Um, And then down to the day-to-day of like, what are you prioritizing and why? What is coming up next on the roadmap? Writing stories for the developers. Whatever those skills are, all of it comes down to communication. And I think the the tricky thing with communication is that the best way to learn it is to do it. And that's why product management is such a difficult job to get into sometimes because you kind of have to have the experience before you can do it. There's just no substitute for kind of working on that. But I think there's a lot of great kind of side ways that you can learn. Um, So I encourage a lot of people to kind of go do, you know, communications training, speech writing training, go do kind of 
stand up, whatever it is that you floats your boat, just to learn to kind of think about how to communicate a story, um, how to write, those kind of things are, are very important. I think the stand up one is particularly interesting in that it says a lot about how to take feedback as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's all uh, communication is a two way thing, right? And I think that's something we forget sometimes. It's especially in this world today. It's not about broadcast, right? It is a two way communication with your team, with your customers, with your your leadership, whatever direction you're doing. Exactly, and and as you said, you can't you can't really learn it until you do it. But I do have to ask you: you've got these three phases in your book. There's startup, emerging, enterprise companies. I know it's not like driving across state lines. Uh, it's a little bit blurred, but how how would you describe the distinction between those in the context of the book? I think a lot of it, it obviously came down to how product leadership changes over those three phases. And I think the startup is is very much defined in our in our world as product leaders in that transition from the founder to to that first hire. And obviously, like we said, the 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 first product leader in the company is one of the founders. It's, it's whether they have that experience or not, they are the ones shaping their product direction. So it's very much about them learning how to be product managers, product leaders. And then I think the emerging organization is much more about, okay, we've we've kind of hit on an idea. We have some kind of idea of product market fit. It's all about scaling and optimizing at that point. And it's about scaling the team to be able to handle those those different challenges. And it's, it's moving away from a world where you may be 80% in discovery mode and 20% delivery to more about 20% discovery and 80% delivery. And that takes a different team and it takes a, a scaled up engineering organization and uh, a little bit more process so that you can manage that throughput, uh, et cetera. So a lot of our listeners are at that startup phase. So peering around the corner for them a little bit. What responsibilities as they move across that spectrum from merging enterprise in terms of their role as product leaders should they be thinking about and possibly preparing for now? I think, it, again, it comes back to those soft skills, right? So it's about how you lead people and how you choose to lead people and how you choose to set up your organization. Uh, I think one of the things that we did hear surprisingly often from uh, the interviewees in the book is this idea of embracing autonomy. And it's something the three of us are very passionate about. So we were kind of glad to hear that nice bit of positive reinforcement in our interviews. But I think that's something that we also then emphasize in the book is that your best product teams are going to be autonomous, co-located. And I think it's a new kind of organizational idea that's coming out in various forms. There's kind of extremes uh, like holacracy. But I think we're seeing it a lot more in you know companies like Spotify, TransferWise in the UK does a great job of this, of kind of having highly autonomous teams that are aligned by direction. So they obviously don't want complete chaos mm -hmm. and everyone pulling in every different direction. So there's still a kind of a big role for the founders and the product leaders in the organization to make sure that there is a, a unified direction, a unified strategy. But then to give those teams the autonomy to kind of execute within that plan and, and contribute to their goal. And it's when you see it in action, it's a hugely effective way of having product teams work. And I think that's the kind of thing that you need to think about as you're scaling your organization is like, is that the kind of team that I want to build? Or what kind of processes do we need to start thinking about putting in place? But also, I think there's something to be thinking about around maybe product debt or design debt. I think that's another thing that we hear a lot world, about technical debt, but exactly. design, design debt's an interesting one. <laughs> the technical uh, kind of teams are much more aware of these. And I think as you scale, you need to remember that those things that you maybe shoved out the door just to test or that you, you know, maybe didn't, weren't that successful with the customers. You need to think about those and how are you going to kind of clean that up as you go as well. Are there any processes you could recommend for that? 
I think it's just generally being aware of it. And, you know, I'm a huge believer, again, in co-located teams. So I also believe in having physical artifacts in your room, right? I I don't think there's any replacement for giant whiteboards and giant printouts and post-its all over a wall. (laughs) Yeah. So I think there's there's a huge power in just having – you know, almost a wall of shame of like post-it notes of things that like you guys tried and it didn't work and maybe you didn't have time to take it down right away, but you need to be aware of it when you're coming back to revisit that section of the the product or the code that uh, you probably want to do something about that. I think if we were to go through all your transcripts from this book, it's sort of a product leader hall of fame in some ways. You've, you've spoken to so many of these people, whether it's been for the book or for what you do with Mind the Product and Product Tank. Who out there... Is, is doing something in product management that you look at and say, we, have, we can learn so much from this person, and what is it? I think it's the beauty of it is that we can learn from everyone, right? And that's why I still love doing what I do and being part of Product Tank, Mind the Product, and, and this book is that um, it is all about listening to everyone out there actually doing it. I don't think there is any one right way. Uh, and I, that's a challenge when you start out of like, but I need a template. I need something something to get started with. But I just don't think it exists. And I think because our products are so diverse, our customers are so diverse, there are different ways to skin the the cat and there's different ways to approach it. I think there are definitely some great thought leaders. Obviously, we try to interview them in the book. I think you guys are intercom are doing some really interesting things and uh, are surprisingly aligned with how Basecamp does stuff sometimes and sometimes not. But you're also doing something on kind of your own way, which I think is great because you're proving that um, you're iterating and learning on your processes as much as you are on your products. And I think that's the big key that we all need to bring to our jobs is that we have this great mindset when we're building products now about being iterative, being responsive to change and being responsive to kind of feedback from the customers. And we need to apply that same process internally in our organizations and in our, in our process of like what's working, um, what's not working, how do we change this, do we want to do two-week sprints, do we want to do six-week sprints, do we want to do three-month projects, like how do we want to do this? Um, and there is no one right answer except for what works for you and your team. And at that particular time, too. Yeah, I mean, we, our, our roadmap has evolved quite a bit in the past year. It was the six weeks, six months, six years out. Now it's we dropped the six months. We're concentrating on the six weeks. So it's there's no one size fits all. And there's that's not just for the company level, but from year to year, quarter to quarter. Well, we've only been able to unpack sort of a short amount of what's in the book, uh, so there's plenty more for our listeners to get to. Where can they find out more about what you've just published um, and what's next for Mind the Product following the big San Francisco event and yourself? So the book is obviously up at productleadershipbook.com. Uh, we're going to try to keep that site updated. We keep talking about all the interviews we didn't get a chance to do for the book, so we're hoping to be able to follow up on some of those and start publishing more content more regularly, hopefully. And then obviously I think it's our job. It's so important to come together as a community. I would say that since I run one. Um, but I think – Only know, the largest one. <laughs> only the largest one. You know, reach out to your local product tank. We're in over 105 cities around the world now, and I think the beauty of that is it's run by product people for product people and it's a very open and welcoming community and then obviously we have the two conferences a year uh, at mindtheproduct.com and all that content from the whole community comes together at Mind the Product. So. All right. Well, Martin, we know you're a busy man so we'll let you run. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.